Yep. All right. Well, how many of you don't, does anyone not know Zachariah yet? Cool. Well, I just appreciate him being in the house with us, and I appreciate your friendship and just your love for Jesus and your terrific smile. (laughs) But uh, let me pray for you, and we're going to hear the word of the Lord from Zechariah. Come on. That sounds so biblical. (laughs) Lord, I love you. Thank you for my friend Zechariah. Thank you for anointing his tongue, his mind, his ears, and the flesh and the spirit. I ask that you would anoint him to speak to us. And we just thank you that the spirit of prophecy, that the testimony of Jesus would just permeate everything today. I ask that your word would run swiftly, that it would be glorified, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to be able to understand and comprehend with all the saints, and that it would touch our hearts and we'd even feel the emotional content of just the things that you're speaking. So we love you and we bless you. Amen and amen. Thanks. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm used to, so I'm used to um, preaching in certain congregations when someone says hallelujah, everybody like responds. Kind of like when you say amen and amen, and everybody's like, amen. Also, this mic is really hot. Am I like really loud in the room? I'm good? Okay. I always talk, I always talk with the mic really close. Anyways, guys, it's so good to be here. I love the ones of you that I do know. And for those of you who I don't know, my name is Zechariah. Um, some people call me Zach, um, but uh, I'll give a brief introduction of who I am for those of you who don't know me. But my name is Zechariah. Uh, I moved here in 2021, didn't start coming to the hop uh, regularly until earlier this year, probably actually Uh, the New Year's service was when I first started coming here regularly, and the Lord told me in that service, or he asked me, what would it look like if this was the family that I've provided for you? And I was like, what? Um, Because I moved out here to be closer to my, like, blood relatives and my actual family, and I was kind of hopping around, like, looking for a church, and I had been here a couple times, um, but some things happened, and I just felt disconnected, and when I came here, Actually, Doree spoke, preached that night, and I was like, who is this fiery lady? I just want to be her friend, um, which is why I'm actually speaking tonight, because she taught all day, and she was like, Zach, will you teach for me? Because I want a break. I'm like, I'd love to serve you in that way. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Praise God. I wish I was a little, sometimes I wish I was there because it's so hot in Texas, but I'm here. Praise the Lord. Um, I moved to Kansas City, spent some time there at the House of Prayer, represent best coffee in the world, I think. Uh, Did ministry school out in Kansas City before moving to Atlanta to be a part of the House of Prayer there. Got bit with the missions bug, spent a minute overseas before coming back, dealt with some fiery trials in Atlanta, just like some health stuff came up, and the Lord eventually moved me here and so I feel like he's graduating me from like to like smaller and smaller houses of prayer because I came from Kansas City and then Atlanta and then here. So I just think it's fun the way the Lord does that where he's like, we think he's going to like raise me up to be this like awesome person. And he is, but it looks a little different than we think sometimes. Anyways, uh, when I was in Kansas City, 
uh, I had this really impactful encounter with the Lord uh, because I'd gone by Zach my entire life, uh, Z-A-C-K. I think when I first learned how to spell my name, Zechariah is like a long, there's a lot of letters in there. There's nine. And so that's a lot for like a four or five-year-old to learn. And so my mom just like put Zach down and I spelled it that way ever since. But when I was in Kansas City, the Lord spoke my name Zechariah in an encounter that I had with him. And when I like woke up from this dream, like the, my window was like still rattling from the voice of the Lord. I don't know how that works, but I was like, okay, I'm Zechariah. That's, that's who I am now. And it means the Lord remembers. And I think there is a prophetic destiny over all of us, even wrapped up in our name. And if you have not the most amazing translation or meaning of your name, just ask the Lord what he calls you. Um, because I went by Zach most of my life, but the Lord calls me Zechariah, which means the Lord remembers. And if he remembers, y'all can remember my name too. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. <laughs> so my message today, if you're taking notes, is called Fight to Fellowship. I normally don't teach this way. I normally don't have a name for a message, but a couple weeks ago when Dury asked me to sub, the Lord just dropped that into my spirit. And so for the past few weeks, or the week and a half-ish, I've just been asking the Lord what that means for us, what that means to this community as a family, as a fellowship. And then I was praying about a verse and actually found myself in the verses that we have been going through as a house, which is really cool because it's like, oh, we're already here, Lord. We're already on this theme. And before I came up with the name for this message or before the Lord gave it to me, um, I didn't know that we were calling our small group expression fellowship groups. I just think that's kind of cool, right? We're calling them fellowship groups? Okay. So I was like, oh, yay, God. That's you again. Um, also, I heeded the word of David by making a manuscript, so I'm just trying to keep to that. Also, a side note, I'm used to teaching children and also teaching with a translator, and so I understand that like, sometimes I take pauses. That's not because I'm like lost, it's just because I'm thinking of and asking the Lord what to say next sometimes. Also, I might not talk for a long time because, I don't know, the, the subject of this message is fellowship, and I want to give us time to do that at the, end, at the end. So just keep that in mind. Um, we're going to be in Acts 2, which we've been in for a while. And I'm just going to pray really quick because I want to invite the Lord to come before I read the scripture. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for who you are. Jesus, we take a moment to settle ourselves, to settle our spirits and receive from your word. Jesus, we don't take it lightly that we just easily have the word of God in our hand, like translated for us to just read and we have it on our phones and we can take it anywhere. And so we just honor the fact that we get to take your word and read it and meditate on it and eat of it and receive from you and dialogue with you. So Jesus, we just thank you. We look to you for, for help, for understanding Jesus, I thank you even now that you're smiling over us as, this, as friends of God, as this deep fellowship whom you love and care for. In your name we pray, amen. So Acts 2, 42, or I'll start in verse 40 because it's kind of where we've been. And with many other words, 
He solemnly bore witness and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all as anyone might have need. And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Praise the Lord. Okay, so highlighting in verse 42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And the word fellowship is kind of what I want to focus on today. Uh, So what is fellowship? The word fellowship here comes from the Greek word, which we're all familiar with. I I actually bet everybody here knows it. Could you shout it out if you know the word? Did you teach about it already, David? Did I miss that one? Okay, cool. Um, But koinonia, which uh, means to have in common, to share, or my favorite uh, translation is joint participation. And we see the direct correlation with that in this verse where they're sharing everything. They're selling what they had. They're, They're daily gathering together, seeking the Lord, asking him for, you know, things on each other's behalf. Um, but I want to talk about joint participation a little bit. Well, actually, um, should, it's interesting because this verse says, or this, it talks about to have all things in common. And I, whenever I read that, I always think, Lord, should I like sell my car? Should I sell everything and just like bring this big gift? Well, it wouldn't be that big because I don't have a lot. But my car's not great. But should I sell it all and just bring this big gift? And maybe when y'all read that, you, you ask the Lord that too. And if he says yes, do it. That's not what I'm asking you to do today. But, you know, praise the Lord. He's given us all stewardship of, you know, our own resources that he's given us. Um, but yeah, today I want to talk about what kind of fellowship God desires and is inviting us into as a community. The glories, the pitfalls, the vulnerable fellowship um, in light of saying yes to Jesus' desire for his friends. Amen? All right. I want to take a look at the perfect fellowship for a moment. Um, I'm going to be in John 17 for those who want to turn there with me. Before I do, I kind of want to say there are many examples of godly fellowship that we could look to in human history, in the Bible, in different revivals. Um, But I felt the Lord urging me to look to him for the example of the perfect fellowship. Otherwise, it would be kind of like a copy of a copy. Um, Like in the early church, they were looking to God for what, you know, how should we live our lives? How should we behave as a church congregation, as brothers and sisters? And I don't want to just look at man's example. I want to look at God's example. Amen? All right. So John 17. It 
Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, they may give, that he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work in which you have given me to do, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they have received them, and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all the things are mine. All the things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I just love this conversation that we see between Jesus and the Father. I didn't really mean to read all those verses. I was mostly just waiting to read verse 11, but I felt the Lord just say, read it all. Um, but in verse 11, he, he says, we see this desire. We see this relationship between Jesus and the Father in this glorious conversation that I don't think any of us will fully understand here on earth because, okay, Jesus is God and he's talking to God and like, ah, like, pff, like our minds kind of explode a little bit with like trying to understand the Trinity. Like we have that word, but I don't know. Maybe someone else understands it perfectly. Probably not. Um, but I love this example of perfect fellowship that we see between Jesus and the Father. And from that perfect fellowship, we see the deep desire of Jesus' heart is that we would be one, the body of Christ, those who have been given to him, his disciples, his friends. You know, he prays for us from generations past, those who would believe because of the disciples' teaching. Like, we're in there, which is really cool. Um, but his desire for us that he expresses in this verse is that we, the church, and his friends and believers would be one, just as the Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. And so there's this interesting desire where Jesus wants our relationships with one another to actually reflect the relationship that God has with God, which is wild. And I'm not going to try and build like doctrine or theology on that point, but I just want to say that's really cool. And that's, I want to learn how to do that better. Because like I said before, we can look to other churches, we can look to other ministries, we can look at revivals and all these things that have happened in church history of what's succeeded and what's done well, or we can look to the perfect fellowship of the Godhead and ask him, God, what are you doing that you want to see built and thrive in us? Amen? Cool. All right. So this fir the first aspect of the fellowship among the Trinity that I see or that I want to talk about, is the humility is expressed among the Trinity. Um, so if you're like taking notes, uh, how can we, what was the question I was thinking of? How can we fellowship, or what is God's design for perfect fellowship? Or how do we 
fight to fellowship? That's the question I'm trying to reach to. Answer one, humility. It's wild to think about how God, like the creator of the universe, the creator of everything that we see, is so humble. Um, He has every right to be vain, right? Because he created everything. He has every, you know, human right to, not human right, but right to be vain. Like we would understand if God was really vain because he made everything. And we see that in a lot of other religions. Their God seems to be very far off and very like, don't even come near to me, you small and lowly humans. But Jesus, like God in his great desire for us, comes down through Jesus expressing this huge just example of what it means to be humble. Um, So the Holy Spirit testifies who God is and it's like they're playing this, this eternal game of limbo of how low can you go, right? So Jesus is always speaking about the Father, and the Holy Spirit is testifying about Jesus, and the Father is glorifying his Son, like we see at Jesus' baptism. The Lord speaks over him, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In that moment, the Father could have just burst out through the clouds and said, hey, I'm God, worship me, right? But he expresses humility by pointing to Jesus, And so we can definitely see how in the Trinity, it's saturated by this this aspect of humility where they're preferring one another, where God is preferring God, which is kind of an interesting dilemma we have when we think about the Trinity. But I'm mostly just here focusing on the aspect of humility. Oh, okay. So I love that this is, I believe this is something that God wants us to really take hold of in how we relate to one another is, is humility. And I know you've heard that before, but I'm just feeling the Lord highlighting it today. And I love how David always expresses great humility whenever he's interacting with me. He always like talks me up and he's like, oh, this is my really good friend, Zechariah. He's amazing. And I don't think it's just like fluff. Like, I don't think he's just saying that to puff me up or just be nice. Like, David is really humble. David could probably be up here teaching whatever um, way better than I could. He wouldn't say that. He'd be like, no, you got it. You're awesome. Um, and I, I believe when we express humility, that level of humility and grace for one another, and we're always preferring one another, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and is like, yeah, I want to move in those hearts. Not one who's seeking their own, but one who is always trying to benefit and uphold and lift up one another. Amen? Cool. Another aspect of fellowship among the Trinity that, I, that really touched me this week was the zeal that's expressed. So... So Jesus makes a whip of cords and drives people from the temple in John 2. Um, I honestly used to think that Jesus was kind of overreacting a little bit um, in this passage. I was like, Jesus, come on, what are you doing? Like, these guys are trying to have a little small business here. Um, You know, 
they're just trying to help the people who forgot a sacrifice because there's people in within the temple walls like selling you know doves and rams or whatever they needed for whatever holiday was coming up and jesus gets in there and he makes this cord and turns the tables and his disciples are like whoa zeal has like overcome this guy um but the reason the reason he was zealous the reason he was you know, whipping people and getting them out of the temple was because he was so passionate about God's house and he was so passionate about God's people. Um, the word says, talks about how the Lord detests um, unjust scales. And so in this example, the people who were selling things in God's house were actually extorting people and the people of God and they were charging them way too much and they were doing all these other things that they shouldn't be doing in God's house. And the zeal that Jesus expressed for God's people being unjustly treated is the same zeal that he wants us to have towards one another. Amen? So I'm not saying like, I don't know. I'm I'm not saying everybody needs to like have like their whip of cords ready in case someone like says a bad word to your brother or sister or, I don't know, there, there is a level of zeal that is right. And when we experience it and when we see it, we're like, yes. Um... I, I, th- I think there is something to be gleaned from this example in that Jesus' zeal to drive out wickedness from God's house is something that we should have among us as well. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to take on. But I think that's something that we can just be beholding before the Lord. Like, Lord, touch me with zeal for your house, zeal for your people. That if something unjust is happening... I would be the one to turn the table. I would be the one to flip the chair. I would be the one to take action, not to just sit back and ask the Lord to move, but to actually be his hands and feet in our community, in this nation, in this city. Amen? Amen? Okay. Sorry, I'm like so used to that in like African church. It's just like at the end of every sentence, and if no one says it, anyways. <laughs> Thanks, David. All right. The next example I have, I didn't really come up with a great spiritual uh, spiritual language for it, but uh, how, what, what do we see as God is fellowshipping with God, as Jesus is asking us to fellowship how, perfectly? The, the phrase I got is, watch your mouth. <laughs> um, James 3, 4 talks about how the tongue is like the gatekeeper of the soul. It can, it's like the rudder of a ship that can turn us in a different direction, or it, it turns us in, in different directions. Um, oh, do I want to read this? Mm. That's okay. Okay, so... I had this example and I asked Charles to use it, so bear with me. This isn't this is not coming from a, a real place, just a just a, just a fake scenario. But if I didn't uh, if I didn't know Charles was married, and if I didn't know Jayla at all, I know sometimes she teaches in the kids ministry, and I was uh, you know talking with Charles, and he's like, hey, if I'd like just come out of like kids ministry teaching the kids or something, and he was like, hey Zach, how was like kids ministry today? What did how did you experience it? Because he probably would, because he's super pastoral. 
And I was like, oh, it was good, but I don't know, this lady in there was like, ah, she's kind of missing it. Like, I don't know if she's new at this or I don't know, her name's Jayla. Like, she, I don't know, like we need to just pray for her to like get the word of the Lord because it was kind of clunky and da, da, da. He would be rightful, rightfully, you know, maybe it wouldn't hit me or anything, but he would say, hey, watch, watch how you talk about my wife. You know, and that would be right for him to do so because he'd be like, oh, this is, this is his beloved. This is his, you know, betrothed, married wife. Like, he's going to have that same zeal that I believe God wants us to have for one another. Um, so I know as we build out these fellowship groups, as we do life together, as we do ministry, it's hard and it's difficult and we're not always going to get things right. Praise God. <laughs> Um, and that's okay, but there is a spirit that we can carry that's not only not boastful about you know our abilities, but it is also not you know gossiping or speaking ill of other people. Um, and so the Lord's inviting us to prayerfully watch our mouths and how we talk about one another, because that's how God would. That's what God would say to us: Hey, that, that's my child, like you're talking about. Um, not that I've experienced this in this community. I'm not trying to like bring anybody's laundry up here. Like, stop gossiping, um, Jonathan. Oh, I'm just kidding. I can't even see him back there because of his camo, and he's holding a baby. But I actually I want to highlight Jonathan because I've only heard Jonathan say good things about his family and good things about his life. And so I love that aspect in our community where, like, for me relationally, he sets a standard of like, hey. My life is difficult and chaotic and hard, and there's so many things I could complain about and have like a bad attitude or bad spirit about, but literally, I don't think I've heard him say anything negative about anything ever. He might have said like, that's really frustrating. And that's it. I'm like, and it just ends there. And then he goes right back into like thanking God or praising God. And I, I just love that that, and I'm sure there are other testimonies in this community of like, oh man, like that is a way to carry yourself of you know, not quenching the Holy Spirit. Like, though we get aggravated by people in the world and one another and our situations, we don't have to let that dictate our speech um, because we're, our words are powerful and they do change things. And so when we're in that space of, you know, tired, weak, and, you know, annoyed, there can be a moment where we have, hey, Lord, like a conversation with the Holy Spirit, hey, Lord, help. I want to have a good spirit about this. I want to be grateful. I want to be thankful. Um, yeah. So thanks, Jonathan, for being an awesome example of how to watch your mouth. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we, uh, another aspect of the fellowship, of the fellowship among the Trinity is knowing. Um, we see that Jesus perfectly knows the Father and is able to perfectly express his will. Like he couldn't do that if he didn't know the Father. And I know this is like God knowing God and it's kind of ethereal. So again, I'm not trying to build doctrine off this. It's just a holy, perfect example that we can look to and glean from. But Jesus knows God. And I would, mm, 
I would argue that like he takes time to do that. Not that he didn't know that before, but you often see Jesus escaping away from ministry aspects or different situations in life to just be with the Father and talk to him. Um, and that's, uh, that's what he desires of us. Like we can't really have great fellowship with one another if we don't know one another, if we don't talk to one another and give time to get to know one another. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I like hearing people. <laughs> All right. So in John 14, uh, starting verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So yeah, we have to commit to knowing one another in this way where we're constantly putting Jesus before us, knowing him, because when we have that deep fellowship with Jesus, I feel like fellowship with one another is so easy. Like all the little arguments, all the little things just like fall below like that sweet, tender fellowship that we have with Jesus. And it just like echoes into our friendships with one another. Amen. I'm going to take a drink of water. Oh, okay, yeah. An example of this is, I wish Dorie was here because I, I like, I just like her. Um, but an example of this, of knowing one another and how it echoes into the fellowship that Jesus is calling us to is that a couple weeks ago, Dorie and I were just having a conversation about uh, oh, just a specific way that the Lord speaks to us, um, just a sign that keeps reoccurring in our lives. Um, I don't want to share that because that's like, I don't want to like spill her, her stuff. But it was really impactful because the Lord's like speaking to her in this direct way. And it's the same way he speaks to me about an area. And every time I see that sign now, I like think of her and I'm like, oh, this is like an opportunity to pray for Doree and ask the Lord to like, you know, speak to her and move on her life as well. But I wouldn't know that unless I took the time to share that with her. Um, and so sometimes when we share those things, it can feel vulnerable, like when God has given us these, like these precious pearls of revelation, of understanding of who he is, it can feel vulnerable to share those with other people because we don't know how they're going to respond. But I would urge you, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to fellowship with one another around who God is and what he said to you and how he talks to you. And then you'll find that you get to know these friends, these believers, prophetic histories and prophetic stories. And it's just so... I don't know, it's just a, a joyous experience because you get to see and testify about who God is because of how he speaks to them. Like, I'm so encouraged when, I was actually really encouraged by when Charles came up here and, and shared a prophetic word or, or shared what he felt the Lord uh, saying and like nobody raised their hand and that's okay. Like, I was actually really encouraged by that because he's committed to hearing from the Lord and speaking boldly and I just, I don't know, I just love that about Charles and about so many of us here in this fellowship. Um, but yeah, so just take the time to ask what God is speaking to each other. Amen?
And it's just fun. It's just fun to get to know who each other is and how God sees us. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about this later because those same things and ways that God speaks to us, the enemy really does not like that. Like if there's a truth that you're encountering in God, I'm not speaking this over anybody, but the enemy is a lot of times aware of it because he sees the fruit in our life. He sees the destiny over us and he's gonna wanna come against that truth that we've encountered. And it's super helpful to have friends that we share those truths with and they can like speak that over us again. Um, and so I think it's funny that my name, it's not funny, it's, it's very fitting that my name is Zechariah, that it means Yahweh remembers, um, because some, a lot of times the enemy wants me to feel that I'm forgotten or not seen or that God doesn't remember me. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just feel energy on this. Um, yeah, like, so I have battled with uh, Crohn's disease for almost 10 years. I was healed for a time, and then recently I got sick again and diagnosed with Crohn's. Um, but I know that I know the Lord has healed me, right? And the enemy just wants me to forget that. And I'm not trying to be like this weird spiritual, like I gotta like claim my healing and pretend like I don't have this thing anymore. Maybe that works for some people, it hasn't worked for me. Um, but the, the enemy hunts me and tries to get me to believe that either the Lord has forgotten his promises or that he just doesn't care. And so I love that the Lord named me Zechariah because it means he remembers, so he remembers his promises. And so whenever any of you says Zechariah, it's almost like a little, a little reminder of like, oh yeah, the Lord does remember. He remembers me, he remembers his promises, he remembers. And so when we get to know each other in that way, we can actually fight for one another's destinies and callings in that same way um, that the enemy try, tries to thwart it. Amen? Amen. Cool. <laughs> I, love, I love this community. I love being here with you guys. I... Uh, I don't know, I was just thinking about what the Lord would have me share today and I just couldn't stop smiling. Um, and not that I feel like an overabundance of his presence, but I just feel like, man, he's so pleased with us. He's so pleased, like he's, it's, it's not arrogant of, him, of me to say he's pleased with me, but he's so pleased with us. Um, just in what we've given ourselves to as a community, as desiring to establish his house and his word in the city, to declare things. Oh, anyway, sorry. He's just, he's so happy with us. Amen. Amen. All right, another aspect of the fellowship uh, that I saw this week in the Trinity is authenticity. Um, so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is very authentic with the Father in his conversation in Luke 22. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So Jesus was really honest in his prayer with the Father. Not that he wouldn't be, not that Jesus wouldn't be honest. Um, but we see the pain that Jesus is experiencing even as, as he's praying with agony, as he's contemplating the cross and he's 
um, getting ready to face a very, very, very painful experience for our sake. And he invites us to have um, just this perspective of fellowship, of authentic conversation. Um, so I know there's so many passages we could go to in the Psalms where we see David you know, expressing his lack or expressing his disappointment or expressing all of these emotions. We see how David was just so authentic with the Father. Um, but here we see Jesus is authentic with the Father as well. He says, you know, take this cup away from me. Let, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we need to just have authentic conversations with one another. Amen? It's so easy. I think for me, it's so easy to like let people in a little bit, you know? Like, all right, so how... How authentic do I really want to be with this person right now? Um, because sometimes we share these deep things with each other and the other person doesn't respond correctly or, you know, there's like a kid running around so they get distracted for a second. And then there's this temptation to just give people surface level answers for, how are you doing today? How's your week been? And we could say, oh yeah, good. You know, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I'm not saying that we have to always have like a sad answer or like, okay, I need to think of like something they can pray for me for because I want to reach for this. But it's just that level of authenticity that I think will bring life to our, our, our relationships with one another. Um, I, know, I know certain of you, certain ones of you know my life very well. I know kind of exactly what's going on in my life. And so when you ask me how I'm doing, it's like, ah, we're, we're hanging in there. <laughs> it's, I laugh, but it's, you know, times are like we go through various trials and this isn't a place where we should have to put on any kind of face. Um, like I know y'all will probably see me weeping on the floor in the prayer room just over the state of, you know, different, different situations in my life. Um, but if I don't offer that up to you guys in, you know, fellowship and friendship and conversation, I don't get to experience that the life, the life that God may give through you and through our friendship and like how he can actually bring comfort and bring restoration through the words of a friend. And, you know, I want us to be a people who invites one another into those places of pain so that we can be Jesus to one another. Amen? I know I'm saying one another a lot. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but, um... Oh, thanks. Yeah, so I feel like with the aspect of authenticity... The example here is Jesus is inviting us to bear each other's burdens so that we can actually fellowship with one another in the midst of suffering. Amen? Yeah, so just a reminder, I'm not trying to build like doctrine here when I talk about how Jesus fellowships with God and like God fellowshipping with God. 
we're just looking to it as this perfect example of what perfect fellowship looks like and like what other ways can we glean from this um, this Trinity Trinitarian example of fellowship that, that will bring life to our community. Because Jesus' desire for us to be one as he is and the Father are one. Amen. So even if, even if I reach for it and it doesn't work out, you know, as I thought it might, or it looks a little different than I thought it would, I want to reach for that, that oneness that Jesus talks about with you guys. And I'd love to invite you to do the same. Hallelujah. All right, so with all that said, what is the point of this fellowship? If we are walking alongside one another like Jesus desires, what is the fruit? And he talks about it in John 17, verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I'm going to read it again. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so, man, that's such a powerful display of what unity can produce in the body of Christ. Like, it's just wild to me to believe, to, to, like, I believe it, I don't understand it yet. How, if we are just loving one another, how Jesus asks us to and desires for us, people will see that and testify that God is real. Like, how crazy is that? I'm thinking about how, like, how, like, maybe we're at our fellowship groups or maybe we're in this building just doing what we normally do and we invite like someone in our, like a friend or a family member who's not saved, for me it'd probably be someone from, from Trader Joe's, um, and they would see how we relate to one another and testify, man, God's real. I see how they, they act, I see what they're doing and God's real. I don't understand how that works, but I wanna reach for it. Like if that's the fruit of just living how Jesus calls us to live in fellowship with each other, that's like an easy way to get someone saved. Like just invite them to church. Like I always used to do that when I was a kid, like, oh, we just gotta bring them to church. And I never really understood why. I mean, I did, like I want them to hear the gospel. Um, But that is such a, a, a powerful motivation for like, hey, I want to love my brother well. I want to do community well, because when we do, it's not just so we can have a great meeting, though that's like super awesome and fruitful, and it's great to have friends and fellowship. It's so that people will testify that God is real. People will believe in Jesus. Amen? Yeah, so sign me up for that. Break out the sacred trust for that one, David. Okay, so you might be wondering, Zechariah, I thought you said this message was called Fight to Fellowship. This all sounds great to me, but why do we need to fight? That's a great question, David. Thanks for asking that. Um, Well, if we know this is Jesus' desire for us to walk in this deep level of life-giving fellowship that testifies of Jesus and is a witness to the world, we also know the enemy hates it. (laughs) 
Um, and he's going to do everything in his power to thwart what God is, is creating in this community. So how do we fight? Great question. Thanks for asking. First step, we, gotta know, we, we have to fellowship with God. Like rule number one, we have to fight for that time alone with God, in the prayer room, wherever you can get it. I know a lot of us have really busy lives, and that's why it's a fight. Um, I have this rule of life for both um, my quiet time and exercise. And for some reason, 17 minutes is like, even if I'm in a rush, even if my life is crazy, I don't have kids yet, I'm not married yet, but even if my single life is crazy, um, or I feel like it is, I can always pencil in 17 minutes to do one of those things, um, to spend time with the Lord. I can, I can crack open the Bible, um, even though this is a newer Bible and the pages stick together sometimes, I can go to my Bible app and see, even see what the verse of the day is and just believe that it's from God. And sometimes it's like super prophetic. Um, I love just checking the Bible app and seeing what the, the verse of the day is and seeing where it comes up. You know, I see that same verse on like the clock or like part of it in like some speech somewhere that I'm reading. Um, yeah, so fight for that personal time with the Lord. We can't fellowship with each other well if we're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can. It's just a lot less fun. <laughs> Amen? Okay, step two, how to fight, is awareness of the fight that we're in. So I feel like a great picture of the fight that we're in is kind of like World War II trenches. Like, we're in the trenches, and there's a bunch of stuff coming down, right? There's, there's always just snares and different things from the enemy. Not that we have to live in fear, because biblically we know we already have the victory, amen? But understanding and living our life like we're kind of at war, it just keeps us from falling into different traps, falling into little snares. I know, me personally, the enemy gets me with like wasting time, like I'll find some like video and go on this rabbit trail on YouTube. I'm like, oh shoot, I was supposed to be like researching for this. Um, and he tries to get me tripped up in shame and just different things like that. But I know, now that I know that that's how he trips me up, I can be aware of the enemy's plan and invite other people in to that warfare with me. Like, hey guys, like I have a, a group that I text with. Hey guys, like I'm really struggling with this. Like fight with me in prayer. And I actually feel like, I don't know, just like strength and release, even in that little conversation. So yeah, awareness of the fight that we're in. Uh, number three, knowing we have a fellowship that desires to fight for us. Okay, how many Lord of the Rings fans do we have in here? Raise your hand. Got a few. It's such an amazing movie. And Lord of the Rings. Okay, books. I'm mostly thinking of the scene because I saw the movie first before I read the books. But okay, so I'm thinking of the scene where... Uh, you know, Frodo presents the ring and there's that council of Elrond and there's all these different like warriors with different uh, strengths, you know, like Gimli with his axe and uh, Gandalf, super awesome and wise wizard. Um, not that we celebrate that. Uh, anyways, I think of that as how, I think, I think of that when I think of us. Like we all have so many different giftings or things that we're good at. I think of... Um, Maybe Jonathan, like Gimli a little bit, like with that ax, because he's just friggin' like woodworking, like tearing down principalities. Like that's how I feel like his prayer life is. It's just like a battle ax. Um, and I feel like 
maybe David's a little bit more like Legolas. Like he knows the enemy's plans and he's like developing this like strategic arrow to shoot in the place of prayer. And I feel like I'm kind of more like the Hobbit because I have really hairy feet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because I don't know. I, I'm like, because I'm super humble. There you go. And I really like food and tea. Um, no, but we all have different strengths that we bring to the table. Um, I really don't like that in the books that uh, Frodo leaves the, the fellowship. He leaves, you know, he, you know, we understand why in the books, because one of the guys tries to kill him and take the ring. Um, but it's, it's frustrating to me because he leaves and then he's without their protection. I, watching the movie and reading the books, I felt like, man, this would have been so much easier if like Gandalf and all these other guys were here and with them, fighting with them to destroy this ring, but he left everybody. Um, and I think there's a temptation in our community to do the same thing. When we're offended or when someone hurts us or like in, you know, I forget what the character's name is right now, but he tries to take the ring from Frodo, Boromir, that's right. The Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo because of like selfishness and he was just caught up. And Frodo was reasonably offended and he's like, bump this fellowship, I'm gonna do this on my own. And then Sam follows him anyways. Praise God for Sam. Um, and I asked that we would have faithful friends who would chase us down when we try to leave. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I, I understand why because that's how the enemy hunts us. He wants us to be offended with each other so that we leave the protection of the fellowship, so that we single ourselves out and we, you know, ghost people, and then we're on our own. Um, I don't know about you, but I know that when I am on my own, the enemy just tempts me with things I never would have been tempted with. Um, and I feel like that's his desire. It's like, okay, if I can just get this one singled out, he might believe lies that he normally wouldn't believe otherwise. Does anybody else have that same experience? Just me? Okay, no. Um, yeah, like I was sharing before about uh, Crohn's, um, I'm so thankful for just the different communities that I've had through sickness and like just chronic illness. There is, like I was alone a lot. Like I would, um, if anybody's not familiar with uh, Crohn's disease, it's an inflammation of the GI tract. I was in bed a lot, couldn't eat, got really skinny, and was just like, at one point, this was when I was in Atlanta, I was literally like walking with a cane because I was in bed so much, my like muscles had all atrophied, and so I was like in the prayer room, like hobbling around like an old man, like, and people would try and pray for me, and I'm like, can I sit down? Because I, I don't know if I can stand for prayer. But the Lord led me to stay in community in that season because he knew that I wasn't strong enough to just be in that season alone. Um, there would be a great temptation to believe the lie that like God's not a healer or that he doesn't see me or that he's forgotten about me. Hello, that's like what my name means that Yahweh remembers. And so I, the, yeah, we have to fight to be together and fight to not leave the fellowship, fight against the fence. And that takes conversation and that takes dialogue with the Holy Spirit, and it takes prayer, beloved. Amen? Um, yeah, so God might not move in the timing that we'd like him to sometimes, but I believe God's word is true, despite my current understanding. 
of him. So yeah, we just, we just gotta stay together. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Yeah, I always think of that verse like one puts, I forget what it is, a uh, thousand to flight, but two, 10,000. And we're like a lot more than two here. And so when we partner with one another and we fight for one another, we can put thousands and thousands to flight. Amen? I always think of that, that scene in Lord of the Rings where it's literally only like three or four guys in like Helm's Deep and they're just like destroying these orcs. And I'm like, man, I wanna be like that. I wanna be putting these powers and principalities to flight with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the place of prayer. All right, number five. How do we fight to, fight to fellowship? We gotta press in past the awkwardness, y'all. I was waiting because I wanted to feel awkward. We gotta press in past the awkwardness. Um, community can be awkward sometimes. I don't know if y'all feel this, but I feel it sometimes, I feel awkward. Um, we're not gonna get it right all the time. Uh, I know personally, uh, a lot of times, Saturdays are a very long day for me, so I come here and I'm trying to have a conversation with someone, but there's like kids running around and I get distracted and I have to tell the person, I'm really sorry, can you repeat what you just said? I know it was really vulnerable, but I really didn't hear it because there were like five other things going on. Um, and that might feel awkward to the other person, and I'm sorry if that's happened to you, but community is gonna be awkward because we're imperfect people, but we have to press in, we have to press, press past it. I think about the disciples and how many times in scripture these dudes were just straight up bickering around Jesus as he's trying to tell them a story or trying, they're like arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of God and who's gonna sit at Jesus's right hand. Um, side note, uh, I think it's really fun that they asked their mom to ask Jesus to sit at his right hand. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who's gonna be there. We'll see when we come to, to heaven, but there's no shame in asking your mom to ask God for things. I'm just saying, he hears the, the prayers of the mothers. It's what got me and kept me in this room, praise God. And probably prayers of the mothers, powerful. They keep, they keep us sometimes. I'm not Catholic. I just, I just like asking my mom to, my mom to pray for me. Anyways, uh, the fellowship that we are fighting for will probably be awkward. We might even disagree about things like which translation is the best. Um, but as long as we keep Jesus at the center and don't give up, we will receive God's promise and blessing for those who endure. He'll be with us. If we endure the awkwardness, he will be with us. We get God. He shows up in our midst. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a prayer meeting or a Bible study, not Charles's house, his were always great, or some other you know, Christian event where things were a little bumpy at first, like things were just a little awkward. I don't know if you've been in those rock pile prayer meetings uh, where you're just, it just doesn't feel like you're, there's any life on it, but you just have to, you have to be there for another two hours. You're like, I might as well keep, keep trying. <laughs> um, but I've never been in one where it's ended that way. Like, I've never come out of a prayer meeting thinking, man, God really didn't show up. Like, that's never happened to me, um, not because I'm awesome, but because he's faithful. He's faithful to those who will press in. Um, even if it doesn't feel great at first, I know things are moving in heaven. And even if it didn't feel great at the end, I know my voice is moving things in the heavenlies. I know that as we 
gather together as we fellowship with one another, life is being produced. We're testifying of who God is, and there's change happening. Amen? Also, it's kind of funny to me, like, when things are awkward. I think there's a joy in that morning of, like, this is kind of like, uh. So, so if I laugh sometimes, that's, that might be why. All right. Uh, number six, fight to know one another. I've said this a little bit before, but we want to fight to know one another and who we are, who God says we are, our prophetic histories. And sometimes those things align. A lot of times they align. And it's super powerful to see God's, like the, our, each other's journey in the love of God. Because sometimes, you know, we forget the enemy, you know, gets us to believe a lie or we, we're caught in a season just doubting who God is. And sometimes we need our friends who know God's story over our lives to kind of speak that and echo that back to us. I can't tell you how many times, like either I've been this person for someone or someone's been that person for me, where it's like, you kind of know the truth and you're, you're talking to a friend, you're like, yeah, I'm just like in this hard season, da 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 and like, I just feel like God's not there. And then you come into this place where you're understanding that's a lie because the other person is speaking the truth over you. You're like, hey, like we know that's not true, right? Like we know that's not who you are. This is who God says you are. And even though the person knows that, sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are in God, amen? Who God says that, he, that we are, that's the truest thing about us that will stand for eternity. Praise God. Um, how to fight to fellowship. We want to seek to live in radical vulnerability with God and one another. So I heard a friend say that God can't heal what he cannot touch. And so when we hide our pain or our weaknesses or our shortcomings from, from God and from each other, we aren't really hiding them. We're just not bringing them to the light. And if it's not in the light, it's in darkness. And I'm like, okay, so if it's not in the light, it's in darkness. Who else, who dwells in the darkness? Oh, the enemy. So he knows that like, we might not believe things about ourselves when we bring them to light. But if we don't bring them to light, we're tempted to believe lies. And I don't know, it's just, I've, I've lived this way for a, a little bit, and it's been so powerful to see just the freedom we can walk in through radical vulnerability, amen? And it's hard, and it's awkward sometimes, and it can be painful when we're vulnerable with one another and the other person doesn't respond how we kind of expected them to, but I charge you to just try it and see how God would meet you in that place. All right, number eight, guard your heart. That's probably the first time you've ever heard that phrase, right? No. Uh, guard your heart. The enemy is the father of lies, and he's desperately trying to get us to believe lies about God and lies about ourselves. And I've seen it happen. Life is hard, and the temptation, when it gets hard, is to come up with reasons or an explanation for why my circumstances don't line up with scripture or don't line up with what I thought my life would look like. Um, don't do that, beloved. <laughs> Fill your life with truth. Meditate on God's word and take notes. 
So Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly, and he does that by connecting our hearts with truth. Jesus connects our hearts with truth in the word, truth about himself, truth about who we are, and it's those truths that we hold on to in light of who Jesus is and his word that when the enemy comes with his little stinking fiery darts of like, hey, you're not great, you're terrible, your hair looks bad. <laughs> um, when our heart is filled with truth, those things just bounce right off of us. Um, and an easy, a real easy way for me to get my heart filled with truth is to sing the word. Um, so this is a shameless plug to come to the prayer room in the mornings or evenings and sing the word with Charles or whoever else is there because there's, there's such a different dynamic when you sing the word, it just gets, in, it gets on the inside of you. I can't tell you how many times I've been like singing like a John Thurlow song and just like humming and it's just like speaking the truth over myself and to, I guess, whoever else is around me in the atmosphere. And then I'll be reading the word and I'm like, oh, this is like a straight line out of the Bible. I didn't even realize that, but I believe it because I've been singing it for like the past, I don't know, six and a half years. Um, so yeah, sing the word. Fill your heart with truth because that is gonna help guard you against the evil one. Praise God. And if a friend is in trouble, send them a song. Sing over them. I love, I love it. And don't believe the lie that you can't sing. Everybody can sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Praise God. All right, so I wanted to leave us with one more example of an awesome fellowship. All right, so who knows the characters, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? We got one, two, three, four. Oh, more than I expected. Praise the Lord. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but those aren't their real names. Those are their slave names, and I don't believe we should call them that anymore. And I'm kind of annoyed that the Bible, like... It says their real names one time, and then it like, refers to them as their Babylonian names. Um, and the reason the Babylonians renamed them is because all of their names translate into something that uh, testifies of who God is, like the one true God. And they're like, we can't, we can't have these guys in our midst. It's like, we don't want people testifying of who God is just by them being in our midst. And so they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed- Abednego. Um, and their story is found in Daniel 3. I kind of want to invite, I had an idea. I kind of want to invite one of the kids to read, read this chapter. Oh, I knew it was going to be you. I was going to ask you before. Do you want to read it for me? It's kind of a lot, but do you, you sure? All right, do you want to read it from... So you're going to start here in verse 1, and then we'll keep going. If you get, if you get stuck on Let's see, let's see. Okay. So, verse 1 to verse 20. Let's do verse 19 to... Is that okay? 19 to 30. 
and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated, and that he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to blind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answers, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar praises God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps. Administers, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments afflicted, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Amen. Thanks, man. Amen. That was awesome. Thanks, Joshua. All right. Man, I just, I love getting, I love when kids read the word, I guess. I had that thought, or even before the service, to have one of the kids read that passage. And then when Charles said, there's no kids ministry, I was like, yes. I know someone's going to read it. Um, so the reason I bring up that story, I'm always encouraged by that story, number one, because I love, I loved researching the meaning of those names. Um, earlier in the passage, I can't remember who says it. Actually, I don't think it, it says which of them says this to the king. But basically, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is offering, he's like, hey, y'all got to bow down and worship this thing or you're going to be cast in the, into the flames of fire. And one of them speaks up and says, hey, we got faith that even if you do cast us into the fire, our God's going to rescue us. I don't know if he did that, said it like that. But that's kind of how I imagine it a little bit. And I think it was Azariah. I don't have any biblical precedence for thinking this other than the fact that his name means Yahweh has helped. 
And so if anyone is going to believe that God's going to help them, I feel like Azariah would believe that, and I feel like he's the one that spoke up saying, you know what, I think God's going to help us. Even if not, he was probably tired of Babylon anyways. But the, the fellowship that we see here between these three, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, it produces a testimony, right? Like, first of all, they have boldness. I don't know if you've ever been around friends doing ministry or a missions trip or something to do with, you know, even seeking the Lord. There's just a boldness that comes out of us when we're with each other because I believe, you know, that you believe in God and that God's going to do something for you. So, of course, he would do something for me because I'm your friend. Um, sometimes I, would, I love doing ministry, just having someone there. Um, when I go out, I'm like, hey, I used to do this in, when I was overseas all the time. I'd grab one of my friends and tell him, hey, you don't have to say anything. Just come with me and like, believe God with me that something's going to happen. And I believe that's the, the same fellowship we see with Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They, there's just a certain boldness that they tapped into because not only who they are in God, but because of who the other one is in God. So their names mean, well, Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Mishael, who is what God is. And then Hananiah, God has been gracious. And I feel like you see all of those uh, meanings of their names ring true when we look at their story, when we look of and see how God uh, rescued them and he helped them. And it, it caused Nebuchadnezzar and the nations to wonder who is what Yahweh is because Yahweh and God showed up to rescue them from the flames and, you know, Babylon's strongest men died throwing these three into the fires. And they were supposed to be worshiping this powerful idol, and he couldn't do anything to save the ones who were serving him. And so it's just interesting that we see this prophetic storyline of how these three people were named and how that affects how you know, God is glorified through their story. And I, I share that example because I think that's, that's what God would do with us. Um, you know, my, I, I think of, I thought of this example earlier, like if you lined uh, Daniel, David, and I up on the stage, if I was like standing here and David in the midst and then Daniel at the end, and if you like looked at the meaning of our names, it would, meet, it would be like a sermon almost. It would be, remember, beloved, God is, ju God is a judge, <laughs> um, which I think is funny that Daniel always says, uh, beloved, or it, it would mean, remember, beloved. Yahweh is my judge. And so I think there's like almost a storyline that develops in our life as we run with one another. Um, and I'm just, I'm just honestly just excited to see what that would look like as we learn each other's prophetic stories, destinies, and we pray with one another and call these things out of each other. Praise God. All right. Hmm. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a pop quiz real quick. Um, so if I ask a question, I just want y'all to just shout it out, and we'll we'll move into something else. But just just to just for my own gratification to to know that I've made an impact here. So what's name a way that we're we can fight to fellowship? 
Say it again. Reach out to people. Name, name another one. How can we fight to fellowship? Be vulnerable. Las Palapas. We speak it in Jesus' name. Being okay with things being awkward. Asking people questions. Fighting for your time with God. What did we say? Okay. Praise the Lord. And if we do all of these things, what is the fruit that will come out of a good fellowship? God is in our midst. Say it again. Witnessing. Anything else? People know us by love. Praise God. That's God's desire for us. That's my desire for y'all. And that's got, and selfishly, that's God's desire. That's God's desire for me. That's why He told. That's why I believe He told me, "Hey, this is what if this is the family that I've chosen for you to fight for?" Like I moved to Texas to be closer to my blood family, and I in this season I'm realizing, oh, God also placed me here to fight for this family that He's created and and put me in and graduated me to from larger houses of prayer to this amazing, fiery, glorious small house of prayer. Um, we can uh, go into a time of ministry, so I'd love to, the worship team to come, come on up. But I wouldn't feel right if I didn't give us time to actually do what I preached about, what the Lord has put on my heart to do. And so I'd love for us to take some time and actually talk to one another. Um, so I have a couple questions uh, for small group prayer, but I just basically want us to get into small groups, go through these questions, and pray for one another. And as the worship team is going into different songs, don't feel the pressure to, you know, break up what you're doing. Engage with the people around you and, you know, see what the Lord might do. So I know this is going to be the awkward part, but everybody stand up and find a couple people around you. You don't have to hold hands, but you can if you want. And I want you to answer these, these three questions. So questions. Uh, how do you see God pursuing you in this season? How has, it be, how has it been a fight? And how can we fight with you in prayer? I'll, I'll say them again and you can start. How is God pursuing you in this season? How has it been a fight? And how can I fight with you in the place of prayer? And then at the end, just, just pray for one another. <laughs>